Dr. Judy here. Do you love to read books about dogs on all subjects? I was recently a guest on the podcast Dog-Eared with Lisa Davis, where she interviews authors who write books about dogs, and I highly recommend you check it out. Lisa reads every book cover to cover, and her warm and engaging personality draws out her guests, and the resulting conversation illuminates the book, but without giving away the whole story. Also, I will be on monthly to answer her listeners' questions about natural pet health. So whether you want the latest advice on how to keep your furry friend happy and healthy, training tips, inspirational memoirs, or anything else dog, Dog-Eared is right for you. After more than five decades of prohibition, the attitudes and laws around psychedelics are starting to shift as more people are beginning to see the benefits that they offer. I am absolutely thrilled about this. In addition, recent studies show that there is new hope in the treatment of depression and anxiety that is more effective than antidepressants. Scientists are finding increasing evidence for the benefits of mind-altering drugs such as ketamine, MDMA, and psilocybin mushrooms. In fact, Brain imaging studies have found that these psychedelic drugs help increase connectivity in the brain. So this is absolutely fantastic. And joining us is a wonderful Matt Zeman, MSC. He has experienced a guided psilocybin magic mushroom journey, and it completely changed his worldview. It was so transformational that he enrolled in a master's of science in psychology and neuroscience of mental health from King's College London, which, by the way, boasts cutting-edge psychedelic research, and graduated with honors. He is now CEO and co-founder of Happy, a mental wellness company specializing in psychedelic-assisted oral ketamine therapy, along with digital therapeutics that promote transforming outcomes. Matt, welcome to Health Power. Lisa, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really great to have you on. I was so taken with those five stories that you shared in the beginning. I, I just thought they were so incredibly powerful. I want to talk a little bit about processing grief. I love that letter that your mother wrote mm. to you when she was pregnant with you. What was it like to share that? I think finding it was such a such a shock that, oh my gosh, okay, my mom was really thinking deeply about her relationship with me and, and who she wanted me to become before I was ever born. Um, and I didn't get that letter um, until after she had died. Oh, wow. So just finding it was incredible. And then deciding, you know what? I can't really tell the story about reconnecting with my mom without starting way back in the beginning. And um, I think starting the book with, with my first piece of writing with that was, uh, yeah, I thought that I thought that would be a good way for the readers to get to know me and to get a sense of who am I, how was I raised, and uh, and how did I get here to be even having this conversation with them through the uh, through the text of a book. Well, it was really really moving, and you write in the book too. You lost your mom at twenty two. And you write, quote, 24 years later, I would reconnect with my mom through a guided psilocybin experience. And you write, quote, and then I saw my mom and felt her and I instantly understood that she wasn't gone. She was a part of me and I was carrying her essence forward. I could pull a string from her to me and then through me to my kids. We were all connected. We were all carrying each other. And I felt this in my heart. I immediately thought, I need to do this because my mom died when I was 28. Mm. I can't even imagine what that connection must have felt like. You can try to describe that for us a little more. Well, I, mean, it's, I mean, 
first, I'm sorry that you experienced what you did at 28, and it sounds like you had quite a connection with your mom. Yeah. Um, for me, again, I, I went into this with pretty low expectations. Um, I didn't really, I wasn't a drug user, wasn't a big drinker, and it was more of like, okay, I will, I will, and I thought it was fine. I'm fine. I don't need any help. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm, everything's good. I'm fine. And I just couldn't believe that in this journey that she was there and that she was, um, and that she had always been there. And I had spent decades missing her kind of unnecessarily. Um, and so many other realizations around that. Um, my fear of death. I didn't realize how scared I was that I was going to die before I was 50. Um, that was pr a pretty powerful realization. I didn't realize I felt so safe and loved in that moment, in that experience with her, that then almost the next second was like, well, wait a minute. I don't normally feel safe and loved. And that was a big realization. Like, oh my gosh, I'm living most days not feeling safe and loved. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I just couldn't believe how, uh, how, how this just changed the way I look at the world and inter interact with the world in just this six hour experience. It was, it was pretty, pretty life-changing. You know, you share five stories. We just mentioned one. I'm not going to share them all, but you do have one on healing trauma, one on gaining empathy, one on reuniting spirituality and one on connecting with my child. When I read Gaining Empathy, you know, I have a neurodivergent 18 year old daughter. And the way you described her, I'm like, does he, is he talking about my daughter? <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, we both lost our moms in our 20s. We both have these neurodivergent kids. And I, I really love this. You write, it was in a psychedelic induced fun house set. For the first time, I started to understand what it might feel like to experience a world that was different than the safe, optimistic, abundant one that I live in to have an overwhelming desire to put on headphones, to tune out sounds that are causing me agitation, to take a break from the creepy ride and get completely absorbed in the making of a piece of art, to decide to create my own worlds the way I want them, to be through intense rounds of Dungeons and Dragons. I was like, okay, that's awesome. Now this this path to parenthood has been, I mean, just, it's, it sounds like you've gone through a, a similar oh, experience. Yeah. It's, I mean, these are their, their own little animals who come out. Um, and we can tap the rudder and we can provide uh, comfort and education of things, but they're their own animals. And uh, I didn't, I didn't know what it meant to be neurodivergent. I didn't understand that not everybody was wired this way. Um, and I didn't understand that all of that is okay. That um, my job is not to, make sure she makes X amount of dollars or has this type of career. My job is to make sure she knows she's loved and that she's enough. And that, um, and if she ever doubts that she can come over here and ask those questions, but that her life path, her desires are radically different. The things that make her happy are different and different does not mean bad. It just means different. Like you said, we all, we grew up in the seventies, eighties, anyone who grew, who was born in 1971 to relatively today we grew up in a prohibition and just nobody told us, oh, it's still prohibition. We thought prohibition was alcohol back in. No, there was a prohibition going on the entire time we were alive. And, um, and we were fed a whole bunch of propaganda from a variety of sources. I mean, we can think of it. Sure, it's the government, but it's also our, our news media and our teachers. And, and in some regards, it was our parents. We, it was just everywhere. We swam in it. 
and we were told psychedelics are bad. They're going to melt our mind. They're going to be pathways to addiction. There's no medical use and nothing good can come of this and stay away. Meanwhile, there's magazine ads with, with alcohol and tobacco everywhere um, and billboards and trucks and giveaways on the street. Um, I, but I didn't know, I just didn't process all this. I didn't, it wasn't even in my radar until I started, uh, with psychedelic medicine. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. There are over 300 universities studying psychedelics. That's amazing. Well, what are they studying? Oh, it's showing to have great efficacy for depression, anxiety, OCD, eating disorders, substance use challenges, uh, on and on and on. Okay. That's interesting. Are these legitimate universities? Oh, my gosh. It's Johns Hopkins and and Yale (laughs) and Stanford. Oh, and Imperial College London and UCSF. And okay, well, those sound real. And are these peer-reviewed? They are. Huh. Okay. Well, but there must be some terrible side effects. Oh, and then it just goes and goes and goes. There's this really cool study by, uh, by, by Professor Nutt out of which is a funny name for, for this yes. industry, but um, <laughs> out, of, uh, out of England where he, he was talking about the harm to self and harm to others of a bunch of drugs. He said, let's not talk about how they're scheduled. Let's just look at drug after drug after drug. And on the far left-hand side is alcohol. 76 out of 80, huge harm to self, huge harm to others. On the far right-hand side, a six, mushrooms, uh, magic mushrooms specifically. So it's, it's just incredible. I still I have discussions with parents regularly about oh can you please talk to my kids about the danger of 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 mushrooms or psychedelics like uh, i can't really talk about the physical danger because it doesn't exist and we know they're doing all sorts of things and i'd much rather them do psychedelic mushrooms safely than i would then uh drink alcohol too so it's yeah just it just uh, myth after myth has been uh has been shattered as on this path this just oh god this made smoke come out of my ears so <laughs> Jonathan Ehrlichman was Nixon's mm-hmm. domestic policy advisor. He was a co-conspirator in the Watergate scandal. And he was asked by Dan Baum uh, some questions about the politics of drug uh, prohibition. This is kind of long, but it's worth it. And he said, you want to know what this was really all about? He asked with the bluntness of a man who, after public disgrace in a stretch in federal prison, had little left to protect. The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Ah, and there was so much great research happening. And then there was like, what, 30 years or something? It just got put on hold because of this effing lies, right? Yeah, it's at least so I, don't think, I don't think people understand that. I don't. I think people I think, think about, so oh, either. all the research is recent. No. I mean, LSD alone, there were a thousand papers on how powerful it was as a treatment before the Controlled Substances Act. I mean, we're talking about lots of research from all over the world that our government effectively shut down for this this false war on drugs and that quote you just read is so powerful it's it's a uh, i mean i kind of feel like all kids should read that and understand that there's um yeah there's some other forces and other there are other things in the world besides uh what people intentions and and uh and science don't actually line up sometimes 
Well, let's talk a little bit about the science. In a beginner's guide to psychedelic therapy, Leah, or Leah, I'm not sure, Friedman MS, she writes, psychedelic therapy is a powerful modality that can accelerate, enhance, and deepen the therapeutic process. Let's talk a little bit about like which ones are good for depression, which ones are good for anxiety, because you go through 10, I think. For, for listeners, I mean, the first, the only legal psychedelic in America is ketamine. Um, and that's really a disassociative that acts like a psychedelic versus a classic psychedelic. But nonetheless, it's legal. What does a disassociative mean? It is, it, the characteristics of it is, it, is it, it does separate you from your body in some regards. It, it, at a higher dose, it's an anesthesia. So that's about as disassociative as you can get. Um, at a low dose, which is what it's, for mental health is how it's used, it separates you from your body. Um, and it does a lot of things in the brain that are similar to other psychedelics. So what are those things? It's going um, to increase neuroplasticity. It's going to get some neurons created. It's going to quiet down your default mode network. So think of that, that inner narrator that's, oh, you're not good enough, or this is bad, or it's not going to be enough, or what about when you're older? It quiets all that down. Um, it can, uh, can get neurons firing that haven't fired together for a long time. So if we can imagine it in our brains, and as we get older... We get into repetitive uh, thought patterns. So only let's, for, we have these neurons that just continue to fire, and it's kind of the way things are. Well, during these psychedelic um, experiences, a whole bunch of neurons fire that haven't fired in a long time, and it reminds you, oh, I didn't always think this way. I could think about this or this or the other thing. And that can be an incredible catalyst for change um, for a number of different things from, and that's where you start tying into, oh, I'm... I'm I have depressive thoughts. Well, okay, I don't. Al- I remember I didn't always have these thoughts, and now I can take actions towards having less of these thoughts or anxiety, or I don't need to drink alcohol to uh, deal with this trauma that I don't even talk about or recognize, but that's essentially the behavior. I, I drink alcohol to have this reward. Um, and then the other thing it does is it connects to this higher, in many cases, it connects you to some kind of higher power, whatever that is for you. And that in itself can be powerful. Oh, I'm not alone. Oh, there might be something else. Um, that's that's it's powerful. So, ketamine's legal. Um, MDMA, which it has been given FDA breakthrough therapy designation, and it's f- just finished its phase three trials. Where this is such a beautiful story. It's an incredible number. They took people with treatment resistant PTSD. So think about veterans, first responders, victims of sexual assault, where nothing has worked, life is hard. And they've given them some therapy and three MDMA sessions. 67% no longer have PTSD uh, diagnoses. That's amazing. So that's powerful and is getting attention. So we expect uh, MDMA to be legalized here within the next couple of years. There's a group called the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies that's been working on this for like 30-some years, has raised over $150 million to re-legalize this medicine. And uh, so that's close. Psilocybin, the FDA, has given that breakthrough therapy designation as well. Um, so maybe another year, maybe so three years, four years for psilocybin, but Studies again uh, on this one. Look at think about terminal cancer, so uh, or uh, terminal patients. They don't have six to fourteen weeks to find out if this antidepressant or that antidepressant is going to work, um, and they need more than just the numbing behavior of an antidepressant. And the psychedelic is proving to be incredibly powerful for that population. Um, 
So I mean, just it's it's that's such a beautiful medicine to think about, not only for the person in the life transition moment, but for their family. And can you imagine again our country with this legalized, where okay, we're all going to do something together to reconnect, get deeper, and move through this process. Each of us in our different stages of grief and depression and anxiety over this circumstance. That'd be that'd be incredible. You outline in the book so well. What is the issue and which psychedelic is best? So let's let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned anxiety, and it sounded like ketamine would be good for that. Yeah, ketamine, I mean, it's, again, because it's legal, it makes it just so much easier, so much more accessible. And you can, it's really across the United States. So I don't, which, which part are you? Are I'm you in, in Massachusetts. In Massachusetts, Okay. In almost every uh, every major city, there's there's a ketamine clinic. So you can go into these clinics and have somebody either give you an intravenous or an intramuscular um, injection of ketamine and go through a process. But in most states now, you can also use some of these telehealth companies and have an oral uh, a tablet sent to you, and you put that under your tongue and you hold it there for, depending on which which doctor's prescription, six to fifteen minutes. And you can do this at home as well. And that drives the cost way down. It's expensive. It can be. The clinics range from like, I don't know, 450 to to $1,000 a session. Not And insurance doesn't cover it. The at-home ketamine, the first six are typically in the 1000 to $1,200 range total. So now maybe so a couple hundred dollars a session. And then it drops to about 100 and 100, 120 for maintenance sessions is what, is what we're seeing. Um, I will tell people that... Just to be aware of not every, not, there are many different philosophies on this. Just as I keep coming back, there's again the medicalization and the spiritualization and people in between. So there's some groups out there that believe just come into the clinic, we're going to hook up an IV, we're going to put you in a chair, and we're going to send you home afterwards. And if that's what you're looking for, okay. But wait, aren't you hallucinating? You are. And they're just going to send you home? Well, after you're, after you're finished, you. And do you have someone guiding you or they just leave you in the and chair? The med- and-, and that pure medical model. There really is very little interaction, and in that pure, that model I just talked about, there it's much more of the uh, the anesthesia model. It's not really um, doing any therapy or guiding around it. It's just a different model. So just be aware of whatever you're. If you're going to look at ketamine, ask them how do you do it. Do I get any mental health work with this? Do I get a guide or a therapist on the front end to help me set my intentions? Um, and then on the back end, do I have anyone helping me integrate whatever it is that I saw in my ketamine experience? Is there anyone helping me integrate that into my life? And depending on what the answer... Now, you also could have your own therapist who's doing that, and that's fine, because the session itself, you're pretty much quiet. You have a mask on, you're listening to music, and it's a journey within. So it's, you don't necessarily need somebody right there during the session. But having support before and after is important. So that will still help your anxiety if you can afford to go in and get an infusion. Absolutely. Again, for many people, not, nothing works for everybody, but it is a uh, it can. There are clinics that work with youth, and there are people who don't. Um, but I certainly know of a number of 16 and 17-year-olds who are using ketamine. And, and typically, if, you're, if that's happening, um, it's because that family has tried everything else and nothing's worked. Um, I have seen beautiful beautiful experiences with 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds, um, particularly when they, when they have us go to a psychedelic ceremony of some sort with their parents. It's such a beautiful thing to watch um, where these kids or young adults are 
in some cases, realizing the self-love for themselves that they just didn't have. And they're realizing that, oh, okay, the world isn't, in, it's not all about me, and it is all about me, and that it can be both. Um, but it's, but that there is this other world, and there are these other people, and they're connected to you in a way that you might not have seen. Um, and I've seen beautiful journeys of healing between parents and kids where, um, I mean, it's, sim- it's similar actually to what I wrote about in my book, where parents were able to yeah. say to their children, um, I'm just doing, I just did the best that I knew how to do. And this is based on how I was raised and I love you. And I'm, I, I just did the best. And I hope you understand that. And kids saying, yeah, I, I do understand that. Thank you. And, um, and everybody's gentler on each other, uh, moving after those experiences. It's beautiful to watch. I really, really, really love family experiences. That sounds incredible. Now, these doses are not micro doses, right? Because in the book, you have a beginner's guide to micro dosing, Amber Krauss. What is micro dosing? Is micro dosing right for me? Micro dosing to increase productivity and creativity, micro dosing for depression and anxiety. I'm just reading these out because I want people to get this book. There's so much in there. So, with, so give, just describe it a little bit. I think people have heard about micro dosing, but they might not know exactly what that means. So microdosing is when you're taking a, a, a sub-perceptual or sub-intoxicating, depending on how you uh, want to view it, mm-hmm. dose. So typically one-tenth to one-twentieth of a, of a standard dose. So a very small amount. The idea is that you can function your day. You can, you can drive, you can walk, you can work, you can parent. Um, but that by microdosing, you are turning on some of the transmitters that uh, help with connectivity, help with uh, making the colors a little bit greener and the, everything a little bit lighter. Oh, wow. um, and that, that's the premise. The couple of different ways you can do it, uh, James Fadiman, Professor Fadiman or Dr. Fadiman, uh, believes you do it kind of on day one, take a day off, it's still in your body, let it cleanse out day three, and you do it again on day four, and you repeat that for four weeks, uh, and then take a couple weeks off. Uh, Paul Stamets, uh, is more of the, you do it four days in a row, take three days off. You do that for four weeks and then take two weeks. Um, and all that's on my, uh, my website and the, the guide to microdosing is there. So anyone can, can pick that up. There's some, so research in microdosing has been kind of mixed. There's some research that says, oh, wait, wait, this is really more of a placebo effect. It's doing something, but we don't think it's doing any more than a placebo. Okay. Some newer research said, well, no, it looks like there's some some indications that this really is helping with creativity. And then there's some really new research that is uh, that Paul Stamets is driving um, that co- says if you take a, a small amount of, of the psychedelic with lion's mane and niacin, that, that those three together have tremendous impacts on, uh, on memory and cognition and um, um, dexterity. So I think there's more to come. And again, we just, we need a, uh, hopefully this will become legal in the next few years and we'll be able to have open microdosing discussions and more studies. And uh, it's tricky on the study side because there's just, especially in something with mushrooms where people can grow and pick on their own, there's just not a lot of money in it. And it takes so much money to bring a drug to market that um, it's been challenging to get pharmaceuticals to run um, studies of scale on medicines like this. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of citizen scientists and these academics, um, here and there that are, that are, that are doing these, but it would be nice to have some more studies that back this up. 
So let's take the person, for example, living with anxiety and especially mm-hmm. with kind of OCD-like rumination, ruminating thoughts. To me, from what I read, and you can tell me if I'm right or not, it sounds like doing some ketamine treatments would be more powerful in helping the anxiety than just microdosing regularly. Or am I wrong? Can the microdosing regularly help you help lessen those OCD rumination thoughts or your anxiety also? I think either can, and it depends on the person. Um, so let's, let's take off. Let's start with what is existing options? Well, we can do antidepressants. Well, antidepressants, we know they don't work in roughly 40% of the population. And we know that the side effect profile is high. So there's a, there's a price to pay. And if you're a, if you're a teen, you have suicide, chances of suicidal ideation. Suicidal ideation, yeah. So that's also, that's a pretty big challenge. So that, that I don't think we really, I just want parents who are listening to really let that resonate. So we're telling our kids, yes, we're going to give you this medicine that's going to potentially numb you, might make you suicidal. 70 some percent has have sexual dysfunction with your antidepressants. It's a 70 percent. That's a big number. It's, yeah. But we think this is for your, for, but this is, this is the standard course. And then we have these, the, this ketamine that, has very few side effects um, that might work, but it's always recommended. It's always prescribed after, but should it be after there's no, um, if you start the antidepressants, you've got to wean yourself off of antidepressants. Ketamine, it flushes out of the system pretty quickly. So uh, I think that's super interesting. And then microdosing is just not legal. So microdosing is typically done with either magic mushrooms or LSD, neither of which are legal right now. Um, but both, especially the mushroom part, is, is easy to procure. So it's another, it is another option, but it's, it's challenging, and you get into all sorts of things, and do both parents agree? And how do you explain this to your kid that, okay, this particular illegal substance is okay, but we want you to be careful on these other things? And it's, it's just challenging, um, but certainly possible. But even, and also for adults, it's, okay, what do you want to do? Do you want to try the antidepressants first? Do you want to try something legal like these one-hour ketamine experiences, or do you want to dive deeper into magic mushrooms or ayahuasca or some of these other medicines, um, which could all could all work? Yeah, it's a lot to think about. It's you know, I was reading about. in the book about bipolar, right, and schizophrenia, and, and you want to stay away from from this. Uh, but then I, I there was a little controversy around that because I know someone who has bipolar and also has complex PTSD. And I think, oh my God, this would be amazing. But I thought, well, I don't know. I'm going to ask Matt. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tricky. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to refer back. There's a really great interview with uh, Dr. James Fadiman and Sam Harris where they're talking about exactly this. And, and Fadiman explains, he's like, look, it's hard enough to study controlled substances in this country. So what are the scientists doing for the most part? They're, they're going for the easiest batch of right down the middle. This is it. We know that um, psychedelics are, are certainly work when you have a firm foot in our shared consensus reality as a starting point. With bipolar, um, with the ups and downs, it, it, can, it can be trickier. What Fadiman says is, hey, but you can go on any Reddit group and see lots and lots of people with bipolar who are psych- who are using psychedelics, and it's working for them. Um, but it is something to be just careful with. You don't want to do it when they're in a manic state, um, but it can it can help in a non manic state. 
um, but it is definitely something to be careful of. All the literature says no. Most studies say we won't take you if you're if you have a, not only if you if you're bipolar, but if you have bipolar within a immediate family, they won't take you. Um, and then schizophrenia is another. I think that one. I get that. So that one seems pretty clear. It's 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 just um, it can throw people back into where their minds can get to on their own. Um, and then especially with young people, if you have schizophrenia in your family, you might have a marker for it. You might be predisposed and doing psychedelics in your early 20s with that is, is a pretty dangerous combination. The book is obviously psychedelics for everyone. And I don't literally mean everyone should not should take a psychedelic but i do believe they're good for society and in this case this is these are specific examples where yeah you really want to exercise extreme caution or not do it if you if you're schizophrenic or have schizophrenic in your schizophrenia in your close family now what about somebody with an eating disorder they were seeing good results with eating disorder studies so so what so part of it is potentially looking at what caused the eating disorder, even if the person can't identify it, but is can 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 these help with that? Um, part of it's just disrupting the thought process of oh, I don't like my body, or um, I need to look a certain way to be loved, and these psychedelics can really disrupt that uh, that thinking pattern. And then again, I just want to keep stressing: it's not the, in my opinion, it's not the psychedelic is that's the cure; it's the catalyst. It's the oh. I didn't know I could look at my body this way. Now oh, I see I it. See. Right. And then comes the integration where, okay, so how do I remember this? And what behaviors do I put into place to now take that insight into the world? So there's, um, yeah, there's some really great new literature on eating disorders specifically on breaking that thought pattern. And, and, uh, cause that's such a, I think that's the most, uh, I think that has, that's the mental illness with the highest rate of mortality is eating disorders. It's a, it's a very challenging. So I do want to make sure I'm just going to say it out loud. So yes, if you're, if you want a legal option and you have an eating disorder, the ketamine route makes a lot of sense. If you want to travel, um, a, a psilocybin or ayahuasca in, um, Peru, Costa Rica, Mexico, the Bahamas, Jamaica also makes sense. And there's a lot of underground practitioners using those medicines that, and, and there's a lot of friendly um, therapists who are saying, I'm not going to help you find the medicine, but if you, if you're doing this as a, as an adult, um, I can help prepare you and integrate afterwards in wherever you live, but you need to find your own way to the medicine. And, um, and I encourage people to have an open discussion with their therapists about, I'm thinking about doing this. Will you support me? And I think they'd be pleasantly surprised of one that's probably not the first time your therapist has heard it and two at least in my experience many of them are absolutely happy to help support people oh that's good so i was really struck when you talked about the catalyst it's changing the neural pathways in the brain that allow them to see themselves in a whole different manner actually i'm gonna give you a crazy example but but that relates there's there's um there's a whole autistic community with this space and I was talking to one of the people who, who's written a book recently, and he was talking about how he couldn't read faces until um, he started using psychedelics. Oh, wow. And then this other person's talked about he wasn't able to read emotion until psychedelics. It can change the way you look at the world, and it can certainly change the way you look at yourself. And it can also start to unpack things that you didn't realize you were carrying 
that can go back a long, long time and then again help you move forward. But having, it is a journey, in my opinion. It's not, even the word cure I, ch- I struggle with, it's, it's more of I have this behavior that I've now stopped doing. Okay, great. Um, I, like, I, I just like that language better of, okay, we were, there's no bad. This is the path you're on. There are behaviors that are not suiting you right now. That's okay. It's gotten you to here. And you're here, you manifested this. You're here listening to this podcast right now because something in your life said to listen to this podcast. And now it's resonating with you. So now what are you going to do? And then that's good. And there's still no judgment about the past. Now you've done this. And now what's going to happen tomorrow? And if this behavior wasn't suiting you, how do you keep not doing that behavior moving forward? Feeling stressed lately? Sluggish? Having trouble sleeping and thinking about your never-ending to-do list? It happens to the best of us, but we've got an insider secret for you to help you live your healthiest life and stress a little less this year. Pair the award-winning, gut-nourishing Just Thrive Probiotic with the stress-busting, mood-uplifting power of Just Calm. These two products are game changers in helping you take control of your mental health and your overall health. They have been part of my daily routine for months, but you have to give them time to work. There is no magic overnight pill, even though we all wish there were. But trust me, these two products will help you live your best life. Just Thrive Probiotic is like a little gardener of your gut, safely eliminating bad bacteria and replenishing the good, and it actually produces antioxidants too. It can be opened and sprinkled into any food or drink, so it's a perfect probiotic for the whole family. And for next-level stress-busting mood support, add in Just Calm. This product has been proven to do the almost unimaginable. Quickly promote a healthy response to everyday stress, encourage a steady, serene, and balanced mood, drive mental clarity, focus, and alertness, and even support great energy and optimal sleep. This is true stress management built for our modern-day stress-filled world. Just Thrive Probiotics have more clinical research than just about anyone else in the industry. No fake marketing, no claims, just real proven results. Every product is natural, and they have a money-back guarantee. What do you have to lose? To learn about this groundbreaking company, don't miss episode 1174, where I chatted with Tina, the CEO and co-founder. If you're ready to up your wellness game and beat bloat, digestive issues, stress, and more, you can get 15% off site-wide at justthrivehealth.com with promo code NATSAV15. That's N-A-T-S-A-V-15. While you're there, check out all their other research-based products for optimal gut and immune health. Just Thrive is your one-stop wellness shop. There's something for everyone, a probiotic for pets, vitamins for bone and heart health, and even a product to help with recurring UTIs. All with a bottom-of-the-bottle guarantee. Take control of your health this year with Just Thrive. You know, one of the things that really grabbed me in the book as well was looking at harm reduction strategies. Uh, I'm, I'm huge into harm reduction. A lot of people don't know what it is, but... And I'll we'll talk about it in a moment. But um, when I got my master's in public health, I did my internship at a needle exchange, and I flip and loved it. Had you known what that was before? Had you been? No, no. And this was back in '97. And where was it? Uh, University of Hawaii, and they okay. have a really good public health program. And that was such an amazing experience. And people are going to shoot up drugs. So how do we make it less harmful to the community? So they're not sharing needles and spreading, you know, hepatitis C and hepatitis B and HIV. And that's what people just didn't understand. They think you're just enabling people, but they're going to do it anyway. 
And then the good thing is you treat people like people, like I flip and hate the word junkies. They're not junkies, they're people. Then you start talking to them and you have brochures on the desk about rehabs and you don't push it and you treat Mary like a person because she is. And then Mary likes you and then you start a rapport and you never know, right? I'm not saying everybody's going to get help, but if you have a welcoming space, it makes such a difference. So. And have I you love read any experience. of uh, Gabor Mate's work on this? I should. I have not. Okay, have he's not. got a. Be- so he, he writes a lot on the, the intersection of uh, of addiction and trauma, or substance use and trauma. He's got a beautiful movie that came out called "The Wisdom of Trauma." Oh, I need to but, see um, that. But he he talks all about we're we're just a funny culture. So if I choose, if I have a substance use challenge, I can be a junkie, I can be a whatever, and I'm looked down upon. But I can be addicted to work, and I can be addicted to porn, and I can be addicted to gambling. And I'm not looked at with that same disdain yep. culturally. It's so true. And all of these um, these behavioral challenges, and many of these behavior, whether it's overeating or whether it's um, yeah, uh, drinking too much alcohol. Yeah, alcohol's terrible. In, in many cases, it's about trauma. Um, oh, yes. Recognized or unrecognized. And we're all human. And how do we... Um, how do we help ourselves learn, heal, and grow? And how do we help others learn, heal, and grow? And if for some people a needle exchange is what it takes to to be that process, then that's that makes a lot of sense to me. One of the things that really just jumped out at me is this sentence, harm reduction is rehumanizing. I thought that was beautiful. It is beautiful. Margaret Sharp is a, a great writer, has thought a lot about this, this space. Oh, um, yeah. We don't have... We're such a, we don't, I don't know if we think of ourselves, we're a very puritanical, puritanical, conservative culture. We don't have an honest dialogue when it comes to, to drugs, to sex, um, but sticking with the drugs, it's, um, yeah, we, we, we bury our heads in the sand instead of, instead of having an open market where we can at least say, okay, we know if nothing else, the drug is pure. We'd rather have thousands and thousands of deaths by fentanyl overdose um, instead of just having an open drug market, it just—it's so strange. Um, so when we get into harm reduction, Tragic. like, do teenagers know that they can buy test strips? Do parents know that they can buy test strips and have them available for their teenagers? That there are websites that you can send in drugs, and they'll give you a code, and then they'll come, and then they'll publish. Oh, you thought you bought MDMA? What you really bought was fentanyl and ketamine and this and that. Um, there's an amazing study. So anyone listening to this who's buying MDMA on, online, um, this, this, these researchers went and grabbed a whole bunch of street drugs, street MDMA, and studied it. Almost or over 50% had zero MDMA in it. None. Wow. Um, so what our kids and what our friends are buying when they're buying from these anonymous Instagram sources, uh, it's terrifying. Um, and then there's all sorts of perverse incentives for the the drug cartels to increase fentanyl, increase the the reaction, but it's also people don't know what they're taking and therefore they take too much and then they die. And we, I think we can agree that dying is bad. Yes. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm a big fan. There's a group called Dance Safe that a lot of the big festivals, they come and people turn in a little bit of their drugs in the beginning and then they test it quickly, and then they throw it out on social media. Anyone with the blue Smurf that was supposed to be this, it's not. Be oh, careful. Wow. Oh, and that's, so that's really incredible. 
So how do you know what you're getting is good unless you're doing it through one of these places that you're talking about? Like, I'm going to go get my ketamine infusion or especially if it's illegal still, you mentioned uh, psilocybin. How, how do you know you're getting good That's a really good mushrooms? question. So ketamine being legal, you can get a prescription that's filled by a pharmacy. It's FDA approved and, and you're getting pure ketamine. If, when you're doing that um, recreationally, you don't know what you're getting with ketamine. Psilocybin, again, magic mushrooms, a lot of people grow them themselves. It's kind of a pure mushroom, less likely to be laced because um, you're buying a mushroom. But uh, That's a good point. But yeah, something to be aware of. And then when it becomes, when it's things like MDMA or um, LSD, either having a super trusted source that you know they're getting their stuff tested or taking the time to test it yourself and send into one of these websites or get test strips of your own, if you can afford the drug, you probably afford that step. It's probably worth it. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny speaking of mushrooms. So I was a camp counselor in college one summer, and I was dating this guy casually. And I was really surprised he sent me a care package. And I was like, oh, you know, he's not even my boyfriend. Like, this was kind of nice. And had cookies, and he had gone to Mardi Gras. He's a big, so he had all these beads. And then I'm like, what the f- F is this. And it was a bag of mushrooms. And I was so pissed because first of all, I don't want to get fired. Right. You don't send somebody drugs <laughs> to your summer camp job. To a summer camp job. I mean, come on. And uh I just, oh my God, I remember just being so paranoid and just throwing them at the bottom of a garb big, you know, dumpster. Cause I was like, I don't want the kid, like if the kids found them or something. So that's that's my one experience with mushrooms. So I didn't do them threw them away and I reprimand. I'm like, are you trying to get me fired? Maybe he wanted me to come home. <laughs> That's a good story. But at any rate, yeah, I, I just, I, I'm still, I'll be honest. I don't want to go and take these things on my own. I want to do it with a therapist mm-hmm. or an infusion. I just, I'm not, not on the expanding your consciousness side. I mean, I think you can be medical and consciousness because it's clearly going to do it, Right. It overlaps. You can come to it. It overlaps. It so overlaps. I feel like I want to be with a therapist or a psychiatrist or somebody who knows this stuff. They're going to give it to me. They're going to be there with me. Because um, what if you have a bad experience? Isn't it nicer to have somebody or is it not? I don't know. I mean, that's what scares me about like if you take too much or something. There's no doubt that um, that having an experienced facilitator guide with you can make a better experience. Um it's the whole set, setting, and source. So we've already covered source. Is the, is the medicine itself pure? Put that aside. Then we get the mindset. Do you have your mindset? Do you understand what are you taking? How long is it going to last? Um, how do you feel about yourself? What is your intention? What are you trying to do? Those are good questions to ask in advance. And then setting is, do you have someone there who's going to be sober, who's going to make sure that you are safe? Not that the medicine is probably going to do anything, but the life happens. The, the, the example with ketamine that we give all the time is the most, once you're screened out for the contraindications, the most dangerous part of at-home ketamine is somebody falling on the way to the bathroom. But those things happen. So having someone there who can, who can say, oh, there's a fire downstairs, someone fell, the dog got loose, whatever, is important. Um, but also, are you surrounded by people who are non-judgmental? Uh, do you have control of the sound and lights? Do you have you no know, worries that your kids are going to walk in? All those types of things so that you can focus on surrendering to the medicine. That's all part of the setting process. Does that person have to be a medical professional who's with you? I don't believe so. Certainly, if it's legal, yeah, you're going to have to do it medically. But there are there are guides and facilitators who have 
decades of experience who run really beautiful ceremonies oh, um, okay. and, and, uh, and can, can be that trusted journey companion for you or facilitator for you, depending on how you've chosen to do this. Right. Now, I have to say, what I've heard about Ayahuasca, although I read a lot of great stuff in the book, <laughs> so I'm a big fan of Howard Stern, Howard Stern Show, mm-hmm. and Robin shared her experience, which sounded amazing, but there was a lot of diarrhea and throwing up involved, and I'm like, I, I can I do something else? Because <laughs> I don't want to do that. I mean, that is one of the more physical psychedelics, and, and for exactly that reason, people say, I don't want to do it, and that's totally, I will tell you, though, that, that having done it multiple oh. times. Wow, I was terrified of what they call the purge, and that's that's typically throwing up. And this woman who was with the Taita, the the person who was who runs the ayahuasca ceremony, said, "You're going to find out it's the most beautiful part." And I thought, "No, I don't. I really don't like throwing up. You're wrong." She was right. It was profound and beautiful each night. I've done it. Um, really. Yeah, and it's not like th- we're all used to when you're throwing up. It's because you have food poisoning or oh, because horrible. you have a. It's awful. This is almost like a a a single purge on this multi-hour journey. That when you get this out of your body, it just feels great. And there's typically some type of of uh, insight in the bucket. <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> wild. So, uh, but again, you have to be called ayahuasca. It is harder. Their psilocybin, ketamine are much gentler entryways mdma or mda is a gentler starting point um it's really what you're looking for now with the ayahuasca what kind of things can that help with it's again they're all very similar um in terms of what what people are finding success with there's less studies there's some but less on ayahuasca than psilocybin um, because it is so physical and i think the medical community is saying "Ah, it's less likely that we're going to use this tool versus that tool Um, there's more studies now uh, being done on DMT, which is the active ingredient in ayahuasca that makes a lot of this happen. And you can take DMT without the ayahuasca. And that's a beautiful experience. There's all these, uh, work with similar, similar types of, uh, people come for all, all the same reasons to each of these different medicines. The one exception would be Ibogaine. Ibogaine, if you have an opioid addiction, that's the, that is the medicine that people use to, uh, to help with that specific um issue and that is the most dangerous psychedelic that we know that is one where you definitely want to be in a medical i say that but there's 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 a whole tradition where it's not medical but for most of us you'd want to be to have good cardiac monitoring and a lot of support with that type of a with that particular medicine wow and aren't some good for alcohol abuse and alcoholism too i haven't had a drink of alcohol in Four years since since psilocybin i just haven't wanted to it's it's wild and that wasn't even an intention i it's it's amazing the um how quick so many people i know the desire for alcohol just drops off or radically gets reduced with um with psychedelic medicine yeah so ketamine can there's there's studies in ketamine there's studies in psilocybin there's lots of studies in lsd um for for alcohol uh use Let's talk about integration. So let's say you have this experience and it, it brings you insight, but you're also like, ah, I kind of need help figuring this out or how to move forward or how to integrate this into my life. So that's that integration therapy. It is or integration process. So we talk, we tell people coming into a psychedelic, look, whatever happens, don't do anything for two weeks. No major life decisions. Let's give it some time to, to settle. 
And then ideally, you have somebody that you're working with. It doesn't have to be a licensed therapist. If that is what you have, great. But maybe you work with a life coach. Maybe you work with a, a, um, a, a facilitator of some sort. But someone who's familiar with psychedelic medicine and kind of activities of that, that, are, um, that are good to go through after that experience. What did you decide wasn't serving you? What did you decide brings you joy? Um, what relationships did you feel like you need to clean up? What uh, amends need to be made? There's a whole bunch of questions that, that are typically walked through in this integration process. And then in many cases, it's what's your community going to be? Who are you surrounding yourself with that's supporting you, that's lifting you up, that's helping you on this, that's reminding you that you're loved, you're good, you're enough, and, you, and helping you on whatever journey you're on? Um, that's all part of the integration process. I love that. Now, so let's, let's, let's think about depression. So somebody could do the ketamine, right? And maybe they do it three or four times for it's individual, but would you say that's enough in, is there an in general? The, the studies in ketamine say you typically do it six times within three to six weeks. And you, and these are again, one hour sessions. It's not a one hour of actual journey. It's not, it's, it's very manageable. And then after those six sessions, People then, maybe they don't take it ever again, or maybe it's once a month, once every quarter, once every something, uh, or maybe just when different triggers happen. But you get kind of an initial dosing, you see where you are, and then you see if, how far you can extend the, the results of that. It's not like the antidepressants where you take them every day and you do that for decades. Um, psilocybin, LSD, ayahuasca, again, this... <laughs> It almost sounds too good to be true where people have said, oh my gosh, I did it once or I did it twice, and it was one of the top five or ten things that have ever happened to me in my oh life, my gosh, and I don't wow. need to do it anymore. And then there's others like, yeah, maybe once a quarter, maybe once a year, maybe once, but it's not every day. These are really anti-addictive. You're, nobody was like, oh, I just did mushrooms yesterday. I want to do it again tomorrow. It's they're, they're, The medicine has a built-in buffer where it's, no, you you want to take a little break. Oh, that's good. Now, I don't have depression, anxiety, PTSD, any of those things, but I still want to do it because I have a lot of grief about my mom and their, my family's kind of a mess. Not my husband and my daughter were good and our dogs, but like my, it's, I won't get into it. It's not my place to talk about it. I have a lot of issues around fixing things. For example, I have friends with different mental illnesses and eating disorder some other issues, and I just want to go in and fix it. And I really, I know I can't. It's just really upsetting. So that's something I want to work on as well. But I want an experience that really makes it like hit home in a big flipping way where I can really like release that. Can that happen? What should I do? (laughs) We could spend an hour just on this. That last sentence we could spend an hour on alone. Like, okay, let's break down everything you just said. Try Let's try to get this in. So you first said, I don't have depression, anxiety, OCD, eating disorders, and yet I want to do this. I love that you said that. It's in, Again, in our culture, if you're not broken, this is not okay. And the fact that you're like, no, I, I do want to do this. This is resonating with me. This sounds good. Yay you. So, yay. Um, I would then say everybody's got some level of anxiety of that course. would qualify for probably qualify for ketamine if that's what they chose to do. I definitely have trauma. So yeah, but not enough where I have PTSD or, you know, go on. Yeah. And then you started getting into, I want to do this for me, which is again, beautiful. And I have all these different friends that I'm thinking about. I want to fix them, but I know I shouldn't, I can't fix them. And I know it intellectually, but I don't feel it. And can this help with that? And yes, all of it. I mean, this, 
the medicine, my healing is your healing, your healing is my healing. I can see these people and love them and be empathetic and be like, oh, I wouldn't make that choice. That sounds challenging. And that's not my job. My job is to love them and to, and to give them support. And they're on their path and they're going to figure this out or they're not. But hopefully they will. Um, so I guess all of the above. Yeah, it can, it can definitely help bring insights into how do you think about yourself? How do you love yourself? And then how do you extend that love to others? Oh, wow. So can I find a place in Massachusetts that has these ketamine infusions? And if I Absolutely. could afford it, I could just go? Or do I need like a doctor? No? Oh. You would. But they would have a doctor there. They would, um, yeah, they would have a doctor there. And I'm sure, um, and there, I'm, I bet you there's 40 in Massachusetts. I bet. There's a lot. Massachusetts, I mean, you have, you have, especially around the Boston area, you'd have a bunch. It's hard, like if you don't have your loved one's support. Would that be your advice for other people in your life where they're like, they're still in that old mindset and you're like, listen, this could really help me. I'm really depressed or I have PTSD, don't, you know, and this isn't working and this mainstream drugs aren't working and this sounds really good. I, I need your support. Or maybe you just say, I wish you were on board, but I'm taking care of me, right? I mean, I think that all works. So Lisa, I think, I think, I think I'd approach it. So let me, let me try a reframe. So instead of saying this is a problem, I might say, okay, this, my partner who we have this amazing relationship and we've been together for all this time and has been my biggest champion, um, is concerned about my well being and loves me so much and is just concerned. Okay. Um, and I'm finding out I'm at, and at different points in our years together, we've helped each other grow up. And, and evolve. And I found this that I think is really interesting and it's helping. And he's coming at it from a place of love and concern. And I need to share my journey with him and let him know that he doesn't have to be concerned. And I appreciate his love um, and see where that goes. And then with, uh, with psychedelics, it's similar. I mean, I, I, one great place I tell people to start Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind, they did a four-part uh, series on Netflix. Have you seen that? No, but I keep meaning to watch it. I did see uh, Fantastic Fungi, which has Paul Stamets Paul in Stamets it. Paul Stamets in it, and that's I beautiful. I interviewed Lou, Louis um, Schroudsburg. Schroudsburg. Yeah, I interviewed him. He was great, but go on. He's amazing. What a brilliant, brilliant, oh, yeah. and what an eye. And, that movie's oh. fantastic. But tell us about this other one. I so love the How Michael to Change Pollan. Your Mind, it's, it's four one-hour segments on Netflix. So for for spouses who might not read the book, but you want to give an introduction, what a great place to start. It's Michael Pollan. So he's a journalist. He's 60-some years old. He, before he started this, he was very skeptical. He's, and, you can, and it paints an amazing picture. And even just the first two episodes alone are pretty compelling. Um, and I think when people see the facial reactions, it's different sometimes than reading the book. So uh, maybe, maybe check out that, see what, see what happens. But... Uh, but I think the bigger thing is starting with that framework of I've been on this journey with this person for a long time. We're going to be on this journey together for a long time. I don't want to paint any story to myself that there's no problem. We're just on this journey together and we're, we're encountering and learning different things at a different pace. And that's beautiful. So, so many of us have shame and guilt around so many different things. And, and I'd love to hear how, you, you know, your thoughts on psychedelics and how it, that kind of takes that out of the equation. Yeah, I think this is one of the magic uh, pieces of psychedelic medicine is that in, for many people, removing shame, blame, and guilt as you think back upon 
a something you were involved with or you manifested in your life at some point in time allows you to look at it maybe for the first time ever with clear eyes. And um, and for me, the, the piece in the book that relates to this is the piece where I talk about having a uh, um, inappropriate sexual contact with a family member 10 years older when I was a young teen. And I, I couldn't talk about it. I was mortified for, again, decades. And then getting back into that situation, removing shame, blame, and guilt, and being like, oh my God, this person was totally rejected from her father, was not feeling any love, was struggling with substance use. And I don't have to condone the behavior to understand it. How human to want to be loved, to want that kind of affection. And then with that, I could heal and I could move on. So this medicine, um, that shame, blame, and guilt sorbet is incredible. For a, it can be an incredible tool for healing. Yeah, and I think it's so important to recognize that you're not condoning what they did. And I don't think you have to for you can forgive them for your own peace of mind, right? Yeah, but you don't need to that's care. a whole nother issue. Sexual abuse is so complicated. It's complicated. But I'm so glad that you got some peace from that, from revisiting it under the psychedelic. Which one was it again? Was it psilocybin, I think I read? For or that was it one was psilocybin. Was psilocybin. I love that. The book is beautiful. You're beautiful. It's amazing. <laughs> I there's still so, so much to talk about. The book again is Psychedelics for Everyone, a beginner's guide to these powerful medicines for anxiety, depression, addiction, PTSD, and expanding consciousness. Matt Zeman, tell us all the ways we can find you and your fantastic book. Yeah, so my, my website is certainly the easiest way, mattzeman.com. And I've got a, a free guide to microdosing and some videos. And yeah, that's an easy way to get in touch with me. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn um, oh, cool. and also on Instagram. And I'm I'm here to serve and support. So don't be shy. If there's a question, if there's something I can do to support, whatever. If you've listened to this much of this podcast and, you're, and you have something that you want to ask, please, by all means, reach out. And uh, any way I can support, I would. Well, this is great. And I'm definitely going to look into that at-home at ketamine, too, because it's cheaper. So... I'm very excited about that. All right, everybody, I hope you keep coming back to Health Power and be sure to hop on over to Dog Eared. It's on the same platform. Also rate, review, subscribe and keep coming back. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you and we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.